Welcome back to another edition of Sports Tech Atlanta Seed Talk. I'm your host, Sterling Mack, joined on the other end by Taylor Mack. Um, so this is our kind of like second one this week. So I know um, if you've been following along with us, um, what we're trying to do is that that first podcast in the week be specifically sports tech. And this one will be a little blend. Uh, we'll hit a couple sports topics, try to dive into a couple things, and then um, bring some sports tech stories to you at the end. Uh, so we'll start it off. We'll start it off with um, this will be a theme. We're going to talk about um, our alma maters a little bit today. So the first one from the sports side that we're going to hit here is UConn women. And they played Tennessee for the first time. And I believe it was like 15 years. Um, obviously not having Pat Summit on the sidelines was um, kind of a surreal thing to just kind of like just kind of see. Right. And and this iconic rivalry that had really dominated women's basketball for so long um, was back in action, which is super cool to see on Thursday night. And uh, the phenom, and really, I mean, uh, to me, kind of like the best player right now out there in, in women's college basketball, Paige Beckers, came up big. She didn't shoot well all night. I think she was three for 14 from the floor, but hit a huge three late in the game to um, cement the victory for the UConn women. Um, Taylor, did you, yeah, were you able yeah, to watch was, it? Oh, my bad. Yeah, uh, I, I, I did. And she was hobbling, you know, uh, nursing kind of a, a hurt ankle at the same time. And then she hits that, that big three. But the main thing I want to just, you know, give obviously it's a huge rivalry. And, uh, you know, UConn was three and Tennessee was 20 something, I, I think somewhere in the 20s. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, good to see it being played again. But at the end of the day, I think. Paige just needs to get a big shout out in the prime time because I see her as like a, you know, a female Steph Curry, seen her, seen her, seen her clips from high school and how she balls out. But no, she's a, she's a true, true baller. Um, and that UConn women's team, uh, you know, like Nelson at center as well. Um, like they're good. So this could be a, another year. I know UConn usually always goes to the final four, but it's recently been losing in the final four and, you know, hasn't had a championship in a, in a few, but this could be a uh, dangerous UConn team if healthy. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, uh, Ryan Rucco did the game um, and he was talking about that. He was like, this is the first time that this, now there's been some COVID issues as well with the UConn team, but the first time people get to see Paige Beckers play in prime time and hopefully, um, that'll happen a little bit more as we get more into the season here. She is uh she's must see TV. Her vision, you kind of talked about Steph Curry, like her vision, her ability to shoot the three. Um, pretty impressive when, when you really sit down and watch her play. So a uh, shout oh, out to them. One green of the- light all the time. Quick release too with her shot. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to shout out to, to them and to the UConn women. And again, to kind of just highlight a rivalry that we haven't seen in, in women's college basketball for a long time being uh, Tennessee and UConn. And hopefully they continue to play, uh, you know, moving forward. So I, we'll hit this real quick. It's super interesting. I know, you know, a lot of people are sharing that, that clip of coach K kind of being snappy with the, uh, the Duke uh, student reporter after another Duke loss this year, but what, it is very interesting to see the blue bloods in college. You could even put Indiana in, in into this conversation of just really struggling this year. It's tough because there's no need to have like a reaction there. I don't know Indiana why you're trying to throw Indiana hasn't the been blue as blood. good as Kansas, Duke, UNC, and Kentucky over the past few years, but they're still a blue blood. But I wanted to focus on those four and not to talk about Indiana yet. But um, what have you seen? Have you? Why do you feel like those schools particularly are struggling this year? 
I mean, the hardest thing is the model that you have as a team. So if your whole model is one and done's, and then you throw in the mixture of COVID and you're taking a high school player, you have a shorter amount of time. It's being off in like meeting rooms and, and it's not the traditional package that you're going to have of coming in, uh, getting settled into school, getting your flow, learning how to be a student athlete, quote unquote, and then operating that way. And then you have that cohesion within, you know, doing sh- training table or doing study hall with your teammates and then going to practice and then you have your routine down and then you start learning the game at a deeper level. All of that has been thrown off because of COVID. And so if your model is, and this is my opinion, if your model is, you know, one and done and you're bringing in that 17, you're bringing in that 18 year old kid and you're telling him now you're following the line of these, you know, these great players and, and these great teams like the U of, like you said, with UK and Duke, and that's where you have the struggle. So, you know, coach K changed his formula up. I think he's frustrated. I think this will probably be his last time that you see, uh, I mean, he's going to have to do the one and done still because that's his formula. But I think you're going to see him put uh, more focus on getting that three star and saying, you know, you might not be playing a lot, you know, your freshman year, but you will be the heart and soul and anchor of this team because you have to have juniors and seniors because every every team has showed you you have to have some type of depth like that. And it just brings continuity into your program. So I think you, you see that like Coach K. Uh, is frustrated. John Calipari in the second game of the season gave that interview saying, you know, it's not on the kids. I scheduled the hardest schedule. I won't do this again, but I'm, I need to get them ready. Don't put this on these. And this, and he, cause he knew he saw it second game for somebody, for him to say that in the second game of the season, second or third game and try and divert your attention away from the players and put the focus on him. So I think that's really um, the big struggle that you're seeing with a lot of the blue bloods who have focused on the one and done. And like, surprisingly, I mean, Kansas is they're They were on a three game losing streak or two game losing streak, but I mean, they're still top 10. Um, but yeah, the four and nine teams, one in, you know, what Duke is six and something. So yeah, it's a struggle for those, for those one and done. Uh, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, it's just the, what's so difficult about having the model or if you're, a team that is focused on bringing three and four new freshmen in every year. It's it's in a year where you're not really able to practice as much. You're, you're impacted by COVID. You're having to shut down, do different things. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to get guys uh, into your system. And, you know, I, I think you made a great point there about Kentucky. I mean, Calipari could see it really immediately. Maybe he also didn't do the, the best job maybe recruiting this year. Um, yeah. Not having those like top tier guys that you typically had, but in the same sense, like it, it is tough. I think that's, you see this year where you like look at Gonzaga and, and Baylor, like those teams, you know, they've got some super freshmen on there, um, but they're a team rooted in guys that are sophomore, juniors, seniors, right. That have been there, understand how to play, understand right. how to play basketball too. I think I watched Baylor play against uh, Oklahoma state, obviously Cade Cunningham, who was the big time freshman for Oklahoma state was, was not playing, but you know, Oklahoma State is a young team where Baylor, mm-hmm. those guys have played together. They understand like movement, you know, yep. how to move out the basketball, how to move with the ball. Just a very different thing. And and when you're trying to come in, you know, we see these highlights of these guys. Mac McClung is a great example, right? But like we saw him at like 15, you know, on YouTube and on Instagram. You're like, oh, man, he's going to be unbelievable. And then he gets into college. Maybe some of that's Georgetown and some of the coaching and everything like that. But like, he struggled. And right. now he's a little bit older. He's around some guys like in Texas Tech where they've they have there. And now exactly. he's ball. Yeah. He's he's yeah. found his groove. I mean, he had that game winner versus Texas. Like I think yeah, you said that exactly right. Like 
you know, when you're young and you come in and I, I think basketball too is the only sport where you're put on this pedestal as a high schooler because you know in another year you could be a millionaire. Whereas in like football, baseball, you have to be there for three years. So you have to mature in that sense, but you have to be so much more mature as an 18 year old now as a basketball player coming in. But a lot of kids don't have that. I mean, you're having, you know, hoop mixtapes, hoop highlights made up for you. And like, you didn't ask for this. People are putting you up there like that. And yeah. And then Mac found his, he's finding his stride at uh, Texas tech. And also, you know, the head coach isn't, he's doing what coach K did with Zion and he's not playing down the brand of Mac McClung. He knows he has a brand, like, yeah. you know, and he's letting him grow that. I don't know. They did a, they did a video for the, the sports team. It was basically how ESPN does those, you know, campus shot type, uh, type funny, funny interview videos, you know, where you, they're interviewing the correspondents and they're, you know, making fun of each other. They're making fun of like Stuart Scott saying, you know, Stuart Scott's blah, 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 blah. This guy comes in, he's a hard worker, but you know, sometimes he's doing weird stuff. And then they like show Stuart doing something different. They did that with Mac, you know, to, and they played up on his like um, prolific dunking that you saw on, on YouTube. And so that, eases a player. And then on top of that, you're playing with those veterans. So yeah, those programs out there that don't have that type of leadership are struggling. Let me, let me, this is going to be, this is gonna, it's a good transition when it comes to leadership. Sure. Because uh, I've been frustrated by the, the big league and we'll, we'll, we'll cap, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of flow out of, out of the NFC championship game. And this is the NFL. We're transitioning to the national football league. And, but when it comes to leadership within this, within this pro sports realm what's in this pro sports league i don't even want to say realm uh african-american head coaches are getting passed over i mean it's always been a high clip but this year has probably been the most gross um uh, non-hire that we've seen in my recent memory when it comes to a qualified just being a qualified head coach yeah and not pulling the trigger so if you're if you haven't been overly familiar with what's been going on um, in the NFL. Obviously, one of the best offensive coordinators uh, to date is Eric Bieniemy for the Kansas City Chiefs. Then they kick off at six o'clock today, mm-hmm. as we have this on a Sunday. And um, there were what six, let's say five or six head coaching jobs, maybe seven that opened up within the NFL. And it looks like the door has you know basically all but shut if the Texans don't go with Eric Bieniemy um, and it doesn't make sense for why a coach with his pedigree does not get pulled off the streets immediately or, you know, poached off another team immediately like they've done with offensive coordinators um, who are, you know, white Caucasian offensive coordinators and that have less of a pedigree or sorry, less of of a history um, of success either as an offensive coordinator and they've had a shorter timeline in in the coaching realm to make it to a head coaching position. So, like, what do you? I mean, what do you think goes in? I, I'll I'll share my opinion after, but what do you think is up within the you know in the in the owners' boxes and what those conversations are for why we see so many African American coaches getting passed up on? But and I will preface. I mean, you have Brian Flores, you have Mike Tomlin out there, and then people want to say, you know, you do have these head coaches, black head coaches that are currently present. Um, and maybe it's something in the, in the interview process or anything like that. But these hires that we have seen has gone to prove that that is not the case. Um, when you look at someone's history or saying that they don't interview well, when you, the Eagles 
changed up their whole interview process and didn't, you know, allowed um, what's his name to come in without a suit and they dressed down to make him feel comfortable. So you can't say organizations don't bend over backwards for coaches. Yeah, I think it's a really tough thing because on one side, like, I think there's, there's always been like an old boys club, but that's like, we all know that from like just corporate America in general. Right. Um, I think the tough thing with the NFL is, you know, in the recent years, they've tried to like find coaches that had a certain pedigree, right. Whether it was, Oh, this person was under Bill Belichick. So they started hiring all the Bill Belichick, like assistant coaches or it's, Oh, you, you know, hung out with Sean McVay. Right. So next thing you know, Cliff Kingsbury gets a job and things like that, right? So there's always been these, like, weird kind of topics that, that the NFL has tried to, like, like mirror um, different things after, right? It's, all, it's a copycat league. On the other side, it, to your point, like, uh, you made the phrase about, like, not interviewing well, right? right? That's, that's what everyone said out of Atlanta, that, like, Eric Benimi didn't interview well. Or like didn't have a plan in his interviews. Like, what the fuck does that even mean? Right. So, um, cause I mean, Dan Campbell just got up there with the lions and screamed about like how his team is going to like punch people in the, in the mouth. And when they get knocked down, they're going to get like, what, like I am on the knee. And I will say just to add for your Falcons comment, um, the whole Falcons camp came out and said that he actually interviewed really well. And per every other league source for the other teams, they say he's, you know, had high remarks for his interviews. Yeah, it's obviously it's coded words, right, to say that like this person isn't professional enough or they can't lead, yada yada. But I think what 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 we don't say out in the media and what people are afraid to say is that just very similar to what happened with Kaepernick, right? People that go to NFL games want to see a certain person on the sideline. It's it's how it's been with like quarterbacks and things like that, right? And until I think you start to like change the mindset of just people that buy your season tickets, people that are your PLA holders. You're, you're going to continue to have this run of the mill. I'll use the Falcons, right? Like I, like obviously the Falcons just hired like a, a black GM, but on the flip side, like when they hired Adam, what, what's his name? Um, when they hired Smith from Tennessee, I was like, ah, like, does that make sense? Arthur, right? Arthur, Arthur Smith. Yeah, Arthur, I was Mike, about to say Mike Smith, who they, they're like comparing him to Mike Smith. That's that's where I got that. But like on one side, am I like, am I shocked? No, I'm not shocked. Like he seems like a, a fine person. And will he be able to like lead men? I'm sure. Like he was the O, o coordinator for, you know, the Titans and they did well and yada, yada, yada. Right. On the other side, it felt weird being that like how progressive the Falcons always want to be and Arthur Blank and all those type of things. Right. So I, yeah, this year felt like a slap in the face. It felt like there were so many people. I think it feels – but, again, I'm going to go back to what I said earlier about just, like, being a copycat league and things like that. Like, uh, of course, there's some racial aspects of this that, like, are deep and we'd have to truly, like, dive into. On the other side, I think I think what coaches try to look at is, like, what is hot right now, and then they try to hire to that. I think what the tough thing for a lot of black coaches is they're not in that, like, fabric a lot of times, right? The only mm-hmm. coach that like tries to have a coaching tree of like black assistant coaches is Bruce Arians, right? Where he, I think, it, I think four of his like six assistants are black, right? right? Where a lot of coaching trees are are not are not built like that. So I think that's that's the other part of it is like making sure that you know it's so weird, right, to have a a, a league comprised of seventy percent, seventy five percent black, but then you're most people like at like 
like take baseball, right? When you finish playing, people are like, oh, I'll go be a coach. Yeah. It's weird that that has not happened in the NFL, whether that's, you know, just opportunity or people not wanting to be whatever, right? That's where I think it kind of starts. And there, there just doesn't seem to be this amazing funnel for there to be black coaches. No, I agree with that. And I guess my, my, my final point, um, you know, trying to keep this as condensed as possible, uh, as you all are listening to this on the front half, you know, we, as we hit these sports topics before we go into, you know, sports tech on the back end. But my, my final point is like, I, I think it just gets annoying for seeing all of the cop-out comments and justifications for why so-and-so or people have gotten hired. And then I always look at the play from the Seattle Seahawks. And like you said, it's, you know, it's, it's a model and also of like, you know, kind of you know, rooting who you want to see out on the sideline. And we all remember the play where, you know, the glory for the Seattle Seahawks would have gone to Marshawn Lynch on the one yard line. If you hand the ball over uh, and then you have Russell Wilson, um, who's supposed to be the, you know, your franchise QB and they decide to throw the ball at the one, the ball gets intercepted by Malcolm Butler. Pats go on and win the championship game. And I use that as an illustration because you have, this is no shade on Russell Wilson, um, but he's very, he's very revered and very respected as he should be. Um, But I think there was a conscious decision made in that moment of saying, who will be the face of our organization with one play that can change the image of that player and of our organization. And would it be Marshawn Lynch who from at that moment, people didn't know the charis- the charisma of Marshawn Lynch and how profitable his image really is and what he's done. You see him all on, on all these skittles or all these commercials and everything. But at that moment, it was like, I think who do we want to give that glory to? And you pass up on that because of who that person is that would have brought you that glory. And I think you see that with, a lot of deci- I think you see that with decisions, like you said, of who they want to see out on the forefront on the field and, and leading these these men through the gauntlet to get to the promised land of a championship. And it's just it's just infuriating because, you know, with this ex- prime example and obviously in, in the corporate world, people get passed up all the time. But it's, it's obviously not on the most public stage that we have right now. But um you look at if you re- just really just go back and, and look at Dan Campbell's pedigree, look at Arthur Smith's pedigree. Arthur Smith has only been coaching for 10 years, whereas Ben and bien has been coaching for 20 years. Dan Campbell, same since, same since. And so um, then you had the Eagles saying that, you know, that they, they wanted to bring a player, uh, you know, looking at you know, have a player to coach. Uh, sorry, the, so they were looking for like Josh McGowan that somebody might hire Josh McGowan, but like saying going from a player to coach. All right, well, being was a player to, and he was a successful coach and still successfully coaching, won a Super Bowl, has Pat Mahomes, one of the best offenses out there. And it's just, it's, it's just, it just gets tiring. And I know that I think I, I, I don't throw a lot on, we, oh, I do throw a lot on, um, Roger Goodell, you know, you can say like Roger can do more, but I think from, from a leadership standpoint, maybe he can, but I think he's still trying to do stuff to ensure that you have people being represented when it comes to interviewing at least. But I, I, at the end of the day, the owners don't care. And so (laughs) that's where you're stuck at. And, um, you know, it took, how, how long did it take? It took Mike Vick to start. And then it took, I think really Lamar, Pat, and their those two success, their success that yeah, I, I think, think McNabb, McNair, McNabb, McNair, but 
you still had to be, I, I want to say, I mean, just going to use your word, your name. You had to be that exceptional. You had to be, that, you know, Sterling in your category of quarterback, but that much greater than the average prototypical yeah. Caucasian non-person of color quarterback just to be able to get that shot. And I think now the success of Lamar, and it's been off, like you said, it's been built off the backs with Donovan, with Air McNair. Then you had Mike Vick coming in, who's a shorter six-foot quarterback and that can scramble. And they, you know, more shots are being given, but it's been solidified with the success of Lamar and of Pat Mahomes. And I, I hope that with Brian Flores, you already have Mike Tomlin um, and his success, that it becomes the norm. And instead of it looking out as being exceptional by those, that one or two individual not being blanketed, that that thought process being blanketed across, you know, most African-American coaches across all sports or, or, or leagues. So professional college and even high school if you want to put it that far yeah just to follow that's the tough part right I think that's that that's where I think people are a little bogged down I think in this coaching cycle where it feels like it's just a ton of average guys are getting an opportunity where you feel like you have some exceptional people or people with an exceptional record that it's like why are right. they being passed over they right. happen to be black <laughs> but I mean I would be making this if, if it was you know because there, there's there really isn't a lot of representation too for uh, Hispanic coaches, yeah, or it. or Asian Asian American coach or a- Asian coaches. Like this doesn't just fall short. Uh, if you're just sitting there, you know, you're talking black, 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 black. This goes for you know, it, it, yes, <laughs> when in the league is made up, like you said, of seventy five percent black people, you want more black people coaching. But we also understand from the other from the, from the other standpoint, like there needs to be more representation for coaches of of di- different ethnicities and backgrounds yeah. than there are right now. Um, but on that transition, real that quick, goes into that, like, funnel uh-huh. and coaching tree that you know I kind of said. Exactly. So with the coaching tree, uh, you have an odd one. You got Andy Reid out there today. It's Andy Reid versus, uh, God, what is the Bills head coach's name? I, for, I forgot. John McDermott. John, yeah, McDermott. Sean. Sean, Sean McDermott. And then you got uh, Green Bay, Bruce Arians, and like Sterling said about his coaching tree, against Nick Fleur. 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 Nick Fleur. Can I see? Fleur. I, it just sounds French. I don't know why. It's just French. Just, His name isn't Nick, though, right? Isn't Nick? Isn't that no. Nick? No. Matt LaFleur. Yeah, there we go. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just putting disrespect all over this man's name. But uh, Packers. Packers versus Green. Uh, God. Packers versus Tampa Bay. And then the Bills versus uh the chiefs tonight as uh, the bills go down to arrowhead and tampa goes from 75 degree weather up to the frozen tundra and i'm excited it's going to start soon uh with the snowstorm that's happening in, in lambo uh in green bay wisconsin so who do you got what's the what are the, what are the what's the numbers looking like uh bucks packers is a uh, packers favored by three over under is at 53 believe money line if you wanted to go box is plus 150 minus 170 for the pack and then on the Bills, Chiefs side, KC also favored by three. I think it's just one of those, like, they feel pretty even about everything, and so they're just giving the home team the three points there. Money line plus 130 again uh, for the Bills, minus 150 for the Chiefs, and over under 54.5 in that game. I'm taking – I literally have put money on the Packers at mm. minus three. Uh, okay. I feel like that is one of those where – I feel good there. 
It was at three. It started at three and a half. I feel like that half like scared a ton of people away. Then like you know, yeah. Lester changing yada. yada. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm good at the three. I feel like it's just one of those things where I think we're going to get into it here. Like my guy Aaron Rodgers needs this more than Tom Brady, and he's been playing at an MVP level. He should be the MVP this year. Um, and I think for him, Rodgers needs this to cement his legacy, right? There's questions. There's always been this thought, like, is he the most talented quarterback we've ever seen? I feel that way. I think if Pat Mahomes continues to do what he's done for the next decade, like, obviously Pat will, will surpass that. But what Rodgers has done over the last, I guess since he became a starter, what, 12 years, 13 years here, mm-hmm. um, to me, the talent that he has – to throw the ball in the pocket, throw the ball on the run, but also be able to scramble. Like when he was younger, he would get out and, and move and do a ton of things. You saw the scramble against the Rams in the playoff game where he got out to get out to the edge, made the fake, and then still scored. Um, he's just – he's been able to do it all. And, and for me, I feel like he needs this more, and I'm taking the Packers in that one. Uh, for the KC game, it's hard to bet against Pat Mahomes at home, but I will say Josh Allen and that defense has played incredibly well. Yeah. I just still don't trust Josh Allen. And like he still does some dumb, dumb things out there. And I feel like Pat Mahomes will figure out a way uh to eke out a, a tough win at Arrowhead. Yeah. Um I'm with you. If it's a healthy Pat Mahomes, I'm going with the Chiefs. Obviously, the toes are concerned, but my biggest thing, which I think is more of an indictment on the NFL, is we saw that brother could not stand up last week. He and, was knocked out. Yeah. And it was a freak play. It wasn't, you know, your typical head-to-head to, to get a concussion. But uh, when anybody stands up and their their first step is a wobble, you know, your knee buckles as if you're going to fall back down and gravity is not your friend at this moment. And then you look in their eyes and they're, they're, they're just gone. That's what you saw from Pat. And to come back, and I, I've had enough friends that have gotten concussions in the timetable t- time that I know that goes along with that. So... I know that they cleared them, and for rating standpoint and for a better game, you need Pat Mahomes out there. Um, but, yeah, if he's if he's not a healthy Pat, then I, I think the Bills will take it because, like you said, they've looked really good. And then uh, to start off for this, the earlier game, I, I, I hope the Packers can get it done. You know, and then this will make it fun for the water cooler talks when people say, you know, well, you know, you know, when it came to it, you know, even though Brady's a little bit older, Aaron Rodgers is still the better quarterback between the two. Don't, don't, don't at me. Aaron Rodgers, better than Tom Brady. I don't care. He's got the pedigree. You look at what the organization didn't do for Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers would have been able to have maybe seven, maybe eight rings. If the organization would have just drafted a wide receiver, but look at the wide receivers he's had, you know, he's had Jordy Nelson, but then you, you got Devontae Adams, but he basically made both of these help, both of these uh, wide receivers flourish because Devontae Adams didn't come in with, with all that type of pub. And then you take Jordan Love as a backup quarterback this past year instead of going or last year instead of going for Justin Jefferson or you know, for this year, and so that you question a lot of things from the organization, and then you have the 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 scrap, you know the, the fallout between him and Mike McCarthy. So it's just interesting where the two paths lead, but with the talent you have under center. So I, I hope, like you said, for Rodgers' sake, he can have a uh, even if he has a bad game, pull out the dub. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing, right? I think, to your point, one organization, not that like the not that the Patriots did everything that they could to like surround Brady, but they always figured out ways of like, 
how can we find an advantage, right? Whether it's – I remember that one playoff game where, like, they had the unbalanced set or, like, remember they were doing those unbalanced sets and then Gronk would just, like, run down the seam and he's wide open. You're like, mm-hmm. it feels like cheating, like something. How did they figure this out or how did they know that they could do that within the rule books and stuff like that? The organization always figured out ways of putting Brady in the right position, even if they didn't go get, like, big-time players, right? The one year they loaded up and then they went – they almost went undefeated, right? Randy Moss, all that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. But to your point, the organizational failure failure of the Packers to not take advantage of a generational quarterback such as Aaron Rodgers is indefensible. It, it really is. So it's going to be a great game. And, you know, yeah, he's coming out with a chip on his shoulder. And, and like you said, from an organizational standpoint, Tom's always had that at the Pats. Now he goes to a team that's fully loaded. He adds a couple extra pieces and on the defensive end. They look good. So this is why, I mean, Tom Brady's had a heck of a year, you know, throwing 4,000 plus yards and uh, with that receiving court that he has. So it's going to be an interesting game. Yeah, agreed. Totally agree. Um, so jumping into sports technology for the end of the week here, um, as I said at the beginning of the show, we were going to hit it. Our stories are kind of like the intros here. Talk about our alma mater. So I get to talk about mine now, which is super awesome. So Indiana University. Uh, has launched um, an angel network. It's literally called the IU Angel Network. And it's an initiative targeting entrepreneurs and startups in the sports world. Uh, The organization says a sports innovation initiative will connect sports-related startups founded by Indiana University alumni and students with support and expertise in order to commercialize their ideas. The effort was created in partnership with the IU Athletics Department and the IUPUI Sports Innovation Institute. Uh, the committee includes Carrie Perry, the chief uh, executive officer of sports tech investment firm KP Invest, Brian Carroll, senior vice president of global media distribution for the LPGA Tour, Jeremy Gray, who is now the director of the Mark Cuban uh, Center for Sports Media and Technology. Jeremy actually was um, connected to the baseball program when I was there. Uh, okay. He's an amazing job, like just within the, the athletic department. He's had multiple uh, roles. He calls an amazing baseball game. If you ever like listen to IU radio, uh, just want to shout out him. It's awesome that Jeremy's uh, connected to this. Couldn't be a better person out there within like the sports stratosphere and ecosystem. And the last person is Stephen Aird, who's the head women's volleyball coach at IU. So shout out to my alma mater. That's amazing. IU's done some really cool stuff. I know they've done some like uh, like grants and def- different type of accelerators. They're connected. Um, with like tech stars as well. That's, that's down there in Indianapolis. So um, shout out to them as they created this uh, angel network to really go after, um, you know, entrepreneurs and startups in the sports world. So the only real platform we wanted to kind of talk about here is uh, Synaptic, which um, is a biotech company that focuses on, focuses on sensory performance. Uh, they've developed hardware technology, really like just strobe eyewear and tools to assess athletes' sensory performance and identify specific sensory parameters um, that can like work and further to help reach an athlete's full potential. So the vital piece of what Synaptic has is the strobe eyewear, uh, which is very similar if you remember like the Nike Spark Vapor. I think that came out in like 2010, 2011. It didn't like take off, but it was like super cool. And obviously like anything Nike puts out is super awesome. Um, but essentially what it does, there's a really cool video, like Jarvis Landry is one of their brand ambassadors. Um, essentially, you'll get these like flashes. You have these really cool glasses on. You'll 
you'll go through like these like sensory kind of like these sensories will put will pop up um, on the glasses and then like it'll then the vision will clear. It's great if you're like working on your hand eye coordination or if you're like a batter um, working on that as well, like being able to like see a ball come in and things like that. So Taylor, what do you think about this one? No, I think it's it's really good. Um, and it's, it's a good product. So I, I, I know it's similar to the, um, you know, the old Nike Spark eyewear. So it goes from clear to opaque. I don't know why the kit just came out like that. Clear to opaque within the vision of the of the glasses. And then um, along with that, you can like, like Sterling said, have the, have the flashes going in. So you can, you can work on your um, reaction time and, and what the whole point of what the glasses do at the same time is taking away a little bit of your, of your depth perception or some senses that you normally would have when you're out on the field, whether it's kicking a ball uh, on the soccer field, um, trying to catch a basketball or, so, or, you know, dribbling a basketball or something like that. So you get all of that and it re- records that data. So you can see where you're coming up short, where you, then you can strengthen uh, that aspect of your game from that sensory perspective. And then on top of that, uh, they have, you know, wall mounted interactive type uh, games, I like to call them, or just, you know, uh, drills that you can do. And then that also records, you know, where your performance is at. And then also, again, shows you, you know, what you need to be able to do to get to your full potential and where you're coming up short. So what the glasses do, it kind of reminds me of, you remember those basketball glasses where they're, where you they couldn't block, see on the sides. Yeah. You couldn't see on the sides and you can't look down. So it forces you to learn how to dribble without looking down. Um, I kind of got that vibe, but obviously on a whole <laughs> extra level with the amount of technology that goes inside of these. So if you get a chance, yeah. Uh, Synaptic S E N A. P-T-E-C. I don't know. I need to spell it because you had to click on the link anyways to, to read it. And it's down there on the title. Um, go check out their YouTube and see what uh, they have going on. Cause it's a, it's a really cool product in being able to help train. And like, like, like you read off before um, athletic club, they build a, um, you know, the blue, they're blue and red. No, who? No, I have the wrong club in my head, but they have their partnership with Synaptic and they're using their training and uh, performance platform. I think they're just red and white, I believe. Yeah, I'm thinking of um, Atletico Madrid. So, uh, again, got my teams all mixed up out here. <laughs> um, yeah, shout out to them. So, uh, yeah, like Tay said, definitely check it out. They got a really cool YouTube video there. So, a uh, couple funding stories I wanted to highlight quickly for you. So Sportway, uh, a Stockholm, Sweden-based company, um, they built their business on like doing live, live um, streaming, essentially. Uh, now so they completed a $1.7 million investment raise. Uh, the money was secured from local investors from Sweden, including uh, Yeltis, uh, as well as UK-based investor Aiden Cooney and an angel, Tony Johansson. Uh, Sportway was founded in 2014 by CEO Daniel Frank, um, who was really focused on building a media channel focused on major youth sports events uh, within Sweden. The other funding round I wanted to highlight is Soul Savvy, which is a community built around buying hot sneakers and related items that are increasingly hard to acquire retail, obviously very similar to StockX. Um, they just raised $2 million in a round that closed late um, last year, actually, as a just kind of like became aware of this one. 
Uh, Soul Savage co-founders uh, Dion Pralika, Pralika and Justin. Okay, okay, uh, good job. Do what? I said good job. I th- yeah, I think that was that was my bad if I messed your name up there. Uh, founded the company in 2018 as a paid community for collectors and enthusiasts seeking pairs that were getting snapped up by bots and resellers, which is a huge, huge deal within the sneaker world, if you do not know. That's why I actually wanted to highlight this one because I think it's super cool because, listen, I haven't gotten one of those, like, sneaker drops in a while, right? Because all these bots and, like, you know, influencers and all this stuff that just, like, snapped up, right? I, like, you know... You know, when I saw my guy at the at the inauguration had the Dior's on, I was like, man, I remember when, you know, I couldn't get those. So uh, it's super awesome to obviously try to, like, um, really go after something that, that's, like, kind of aching the, the sneaker community. Uh, so the $2 million raise, including investments from uh, Panache Ventures, um, Launch, Turner Novak, uh, Bedrock, and Bedrock Capital. So shout out to them for everything uh, that they're trying to go after here. And the last one we have is we did a story on VO, really the like awesome, uh, really motion uh, video that you can like you utilize to like capture live games, especially like soccer. Um, so they were uh, it's a startup that started out in Copenhagen. So they just announced a twenty four point five million dollars Series B round. Uh, the round was led by a Danish investor. Augustine, this I'm not going to try to lie that last name there. And um, good job, good also job. Backed by a courtside VC who's done a ton of stuff within the sports technology world. So shout out to VO Technologies again. Super cool if you haven't seen our technology to be able to truly like capture, um, especially like U Sports or you know we've talked about it where you know if you want to like you know capture some games, especially soccer or basketball, being able to put um, their video technology at like the 50 yard line or at half court and being able to see the whole field, which is super cool. So shout out to them. And that closes up for the sports tech side of this. So we appreciate you again. We'll try, we'll keep trying this like format here where we're doing sports technology stories earlier in the week. And then later in the week, we'll drop uh, more of like a sports centric. We'll try to hit some like hot topics and then give you a couple sports tech uh, tidbits there. Uh, you can find Taylor at TaylorMac29. You can find me at SteeMac. And we hope to find you in, on another edition of Sports Ticket Land to Talk. We appreciate you.